Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. None more sufficient than Jesus Christ. Thank you for leading us in, in worship. I often think of the words that we sing, and, and I trust that you do as well, just the, the fact that Christ is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He uh, pleads on our behalf before God the Father, and what a joy it is to know that that's on a daily basis. Take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 3. We'll be looking at the last four verses, five verses of Mark's chapter 3, Mark 3. The title of today's sermon is Jesus Identifies His True Family. Jesus Identifies His True Family. Let me read our passage for us. Verse 31, Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside they sent word to him and called him crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Father, we do come with a heart desiring for not only the Word to teach us, but for the Holy Spirit to make clear the passage that is set before us with a desire to understand your kingdom, the kingdom realities that, that you bring. Father, may we rejoice in knowing that the kingdom has been brought. And only entrance into that kingdom is through Jesus, through you, which in turn, you make those who repent and believe your family. We pray these things knowing that you will continue to grow us and teach us. Be with your servant, I pray. Amen. I think at first glance, this passage seems somewhat odd. We just had Jesus point to the hardness of the scribe's heart. He points out the fact that there's a, an unpardonable sin, an eternal sin, that if they continue in the, their unbelief, their rejection of who Jesus is, they will spend eternity in a place called hell. From that stunning decoration, Mark picks up with Jesus' family. And just when you think that this is going to be a safe subject, Jesus again brings forth a shocking statement 
where he says in verse 33, who are my mother and my brothers? I think these are startling words, especially in the time of our Lord. Do you think about the significance of what family means to us in our culture? Even more so in the Hebrew culture, you have this, this divining aspect that family was very supreme. The family in the Hebrew culture, even more so, it had the idea of, of, of a sacred institution, and we should rightly see it that way. A sacred institution created by God. And it seems that Jesus is separating from the family that raised him. His brothers, and it must be said, sisters, who grew up with him. And I say sisters because Mark tells us in Mark 6, 3, where it says there, is not this carpenter in the midst of Jesus teaching at the Sabbath, the listeners were saying, asking about Jesus, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph, and, and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him. In the Greek, this, this whole idea of brothers uh, uh, has the idea of referring to siblings. And I think it's probably best to take it that way. The family has assembled. They were there to call out Jesus. They, of course, traveled from Nazareth. They were going to Capernaum. They were going to where the crowds were. They have heard all the, the, the things that are happening, the, the, the amounting energy of people saying that the Messiah is here. Jesus is healing people. And they're all there except for one. Do you notice who's not there? Joseph. Joseph, Joseph is not mentioned, mentioned here. Excuse me. Scholars believe that he might have died. But I think it's best just to take note of this absence and not read his death into the text. But here the family comes alongside in the midst of great rebuke. Mark picks up with this dialogue that has actually started back in verse 22, or uh, excuse me, 21. It's interesting to me because there they said that their, their, their summation of their brother or their son is that he lost his senses. It's in that context that Jesus defines his true family. Look at verse 31, 35 to us. We have in this the, the arrival of not only, like I say, Jesus' mother and siblings in the scene, and Jesus with the crowds around him, says this. Verse 31, Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. It's almost as if Jesus' mother and his brothers are, are, are saying, Hey, we need to get to Jesus. Can you send word that family is here, that we have arrived Pretty succinct, pretty succinct. At some point, Jesus gets word that his mother and brothers are looking for him, implying that they want to talk to him. Now, there's not a lot of color in these verses, but what we do notice is a few things. 
twice we're told in these two verses that his family are on the outside looking in. The crowd is on the inside. Family is gathered outside of the house. Now, isn't this ironic in the sense when we think about households? When family comes, what do we do? We give them a place of prominence within our home. We invite them in. And they take precedent over even some of our needs. But here the order is reversed. And I think it plays well in our understanding what Jesus is going to say when it comes to who his true family is. Another observation of these verses has the family doing the calling instead of Jesus. If you've been following our exposition of Mark, you know that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and even in chapter 3, Jesus is doing the calling. He's calling his disciples. He called his apostles. We know in Mark 1.20, we see this, where Jesus says immediately he called them, speaking about the sons of Zebedee. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired servants, and they went away and followed him. Mark 2.17, Jesus defines his calling to sinners, where he says, in hearing this, Jesus said to them, is it not those who are healthy? It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But here Mark makes the distinction that the family is attempting to assert their claim on Christ. And then, at the end of verse 32 in our passage in Mark 3, it says there that they are looking for him. This is also an interesting term used in the gospel of Mark. It's used 10 times in his gospel. Each of these 10 times as you study this, it describes an attempt by someone to gain control over Jesus. This wasn't just a shy approach where, hey, we showed up unannounced and we're here to see Jesus. This is a demanding call that, that Mary had towards Jesus. And their desire is to say, come out here now. It's almost like a, a scolding rebuke to say, you better get out here now. It is as if the family assumes they have rights to Christ and that he must fulfill them. The family is exerting their authority and telling the crowd around them that, hey, I have identity and purpose here. I have prominence here. I want my son. I want Jesus. Jesus responds. Look at verse 33. Answering them, he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those around who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. Pretty shocking statement. It's a rhetorical question. Jesus is not asking them for their input on exactly who are his, his mother and, and, and brothers. He knows he, he has the, the audience captive here. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? I think it's important to understand this. This is not an insult against the family or his family, nor the affirmation of them. Everything is kind of wrapping up in, in a seriousness kind of a way. Jesus, in the midst of the opposition against the scribes and the religious leaders of the day, he pretty much rebukes them, sets them aside, and says, listen, I have come here for a purpose. 
I've come here to proclaim myself, the anointed one. And after stating such a jaw-dropping question, he says, look around. All those who gathered around Christ, those who were the tax collectors and the disciples, we know that they were there, according to Mark 3.14, tells us that when he appointed the 12, these 12 disciples, is that they would be with him. And Scripture tells us that they were continually to be with him so that he could send them out and to preach a divine role that he has called them to do. But sitting around Christ are those who are the outcast, the unwanted, who experience a love that they have never experienced before. And he says, behold, looking at, text says that he literally looks at the crowd around him. And he says to them, behold, your mother and your brothers. Behold, my mother and my brothers. I mean, this, again, is is a statement of, of kingdom reality. The fact that Jesus didn't come to to call out those who are healthy, but those who are sick, those who are are sinners. And then here's the key. The reason Jesus says such a statement is verse 35. He says, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I think that's why another reason why we would see that earlier call when he says brothers as being siblings. It has this idea of my brother and sister and mother. And he he says this, obedience is the key. Doing the will of my father, those are my family. Obedience is the result of one who has received Christ's grace and forgiveness, and then in turn, Christ puts them in his family. Did you get that? Obedience. Trusting that the word of God is sufficient, trusting that it has authority, trusting that it is my sole authority. Obedience is a result. Now listen very carefully. When I say obedience puts you in the family of God, I'm not saying that obedience saves you. I'm saying Jesus Christ is the only one that can save and redeem you. Because of that redemption, it causes you to believe and in turn causes you to obey. And in turn, that puts you in the family of God. Jesus' response quiets the mouth of those, if you think about it, those who should be comfortable with him. We expect when this story unfolds and Jesus comes that the religious leaders of the day would, according to studying the scriptures, would have got it right. They would have got Jesus, the Messiah, right, but they didn't. And such a statement like this quiets the mouth of those who are comfortable around him, even his family. And in turn, encourages those who seem to be on the outside and feel dejected. I mean, this is, this is profound when you think about it. When you take time to study these things, you, you, you see the beauty of what the gospel does. It brings a sinner into the family. I mean, there's a great reversal happening here. Can you see it there, beloved? 
those who have traditionally been insiders to God's blessing, and you think about the concept of the Abrahamic covenant and all those things that are going on and the religious leader in Israel rejecting the Messiah. And then those whom Israel did a great job of uh, keeping them at arm's length, those sinners, those tax collectors, those Gentiles. Remember, Mark leads up to this point. He is, the religious leaders of the day, they are upset with the fact that Jesus meets with them and has supper with them. They will become the insiders and will be called and identified as Jesus' true family. Why? Verse 35, because they desire to obey. They desire to do the will of God. They desire to, to allow the, the power of salvation in their life to transform them in such a way that they identify as being Christ. When you think about it, today's evangelical church is so desirous on, on getting people saved, but they don't make them disciples. Jesus is pointing to the disciple nature of, of those who repent and believe in him. They are characterized by the fact that they are the ones who do the will of God, who obey. All of this is because Jesus says back in verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 15, that the kingdom of God is at hand. By the way, back to the fact that, that Joseph is not mentioned here, the earthly father, so to speak, of Christ. You guys remember that passage in Matthew 23, verse 9? I'll throw it up on the, on the wall here for you. It just says there, Do not call anyone on earth your father. This is Jesus speaking. For one is your father. He who is in heaven. And so God is our Father. There, there's there's a, a, a leaving of this, and I think that there's a tendency to understand those things. I'll never forget the time at the hospital where your pastor chaplains for many years. There was a, a Greek Orthodox priest, part of the team. And we had our, our rounds, our bouts, what truly is the gospel. But he, in one meeting, demanded, said, Bear, I demand respect from you. You need to call me Father. <laughs> I already know your pastor. I don't follow orders really well. He was demanding a respect, and of course, I went to the Scripture. I'm not going to call you Father, because there's only one Father. And he lives in heaven. And so I just called him Mark. And he didn't like it. Did not like it. But I, I, I understand this text. I understand this verse, the mean, do not call anyone on your earth your father, for there is one, your father, he who is in heaven. Not dim diminishing the fact of of the earthly father, his role within the family and all those kind of things. But I also knew that Mark wasn't my biological dad. So I'm not going to call him 
Father. Now, I think there's some, some good questions of the text that must be asked. I don't think in any way that Jesus is trying to demean his, his earthly family. I think he's trying to establish the reality that there's a spiritual family that he himself ushers people into through faith and through salvation and through repentance, right? He's not severing ties with his earthly family. We know in the final hours of his life when he hung on the cross, his thought was what? Towards his mother. You remember that in John 19, verse 26 and 27? When Jesus then saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved, which was a moniker for John, the apostle John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her son or took her into his own household. Jesus was not suggesting the breaking of family ties, even though he did acknowledge that Christian commitment sometimes will void you of your earthly family, does it not? I think of Mark chapter 10, verse 28 through 30. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he will receive a hundred times as much now in the present age. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. A spiritual family is what he's pointing to. So in identifying this new truth and, and a reality of what the kingdom does and what the, the redemption does in Christ Jesus, he is identifying those who love him and who are family are those who obey him. And I think we get that. That's a simple concept for, you, for us, even if you don't even really think about it theologically. I mean, there's a richness of family here, is there not? I mean, there's a great love that I see amongst one another, where brothers and sisters, they care for one another. They do the one another's that Christ calls us to do. I mean, this is our spiritual family. And it's such a sweet thing. All because based on one significance, that being salvation in Christ Jesus. That's what yokes us. That's what yokes any believer to another believer is the solidification of Christ as being Lord and Savior. And so what Jesus is saying here is that there's a new family in a spiritual sense that is far more superior than the human family. Why? Because the eternal family is eternal, right? It's exactly that. And so we experience ties that are far stronger. We consider uh, 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 <clears throat> that relationship to be more satisfying. You think about carrying one another's burden. This type of family living is, 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 is more demanding. You see what Jesus is saying here? 
Yes, I've grown up with this earthly family over 30 years, but for the will of God, I've come to dispense salvation. And when he thinks about that whole deal, that the spiritual family is what brings them, the salvation brings them into the spiritual family. Simple truth, but something that impacts our understanding of how we function as a church body. I think there's some implications, and you can see your outline move that way. I think it's something that I want us to look at, and that, of course, is the implications upon the church, a little bit of what I've said, but also the implications on our families. Let me say this first when it comes to the implication of understanding this new spiritual family on the church. If Jesus is our head and Christ is the head of the church, he should be constantly obeyed. Amen? We think about even Jesus' examples. I mean, we think about early in his ministry in John 4.34, where he clearly told us that, that his desire is to obey God the Father. He says there, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. I even think at the end of his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane in John chapter 14, in verse 23 and 24, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Obedience. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Every beat of Christ's life was desired to give obedience to God the Father. And of course, what is displayed for us in the pages of Scripture is that relationship is so sweet. Obedience, essential to be a part of the spiritual family of God. So I think that the simple tie-in here is this, that if, if, if God obeyed, or Jesus obeyed God to that extent, why don't we? I think the 1 John 5 brings out this concept where it says there, by this we know that we love, or that we love, or that we are, I think it's, let me read it up here. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Do you hear that, beloved? They're not heavy. They are for your blessing. John 14, 21, he who, who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose himself to to him, this aspect of deep family, of aspect of love, is focused on obedience. But there's even more here. And when it comes to the church, as you live for Christ and you desire to obey him, it opens up the storehouse where you have those who come alongside you, who trust him and love him, who have repented and believed, they become a bigger family than that you will ever understand. When we meet others who have received Jesus as Lord and Savior, 
you have just met a new brother and sister in Christ, a new family member. Why? Because we are in His family. I guess the question for you, I, th I think this is what draws even those who, who come alongside the church and they see the love and the care that the church brings, that they want that. And they see that. But let me just say it this way, beloved. You do not experience the great fullness of being a part of the spiritual family of Christ unless you come to faith in him. Oh, sure, you get some of the spillover. But to be truly into the family that, that Jesus is talking about here, you must repent and believe. And because this family is, is so rich, so encouraging, we're called not to forsake it. Do you understand that, beloved? We're called to gather according to Hebrews chapter 10 where we would spur one another to love and good deeds. That we would love on one another. That we would encourage each other. That we would even rebuke one another out of the sake of obedience to the things of Christ. implication upon the church is, is rich and something that is experienced every time the church gathers. What about the family? What are the implications of understanding this, this new family in light of the earthly family that we already have? And I think simply it's this, and this is one of the exhortations I want you to, you've often heard this from me, but listen, too often we make the family more supreme than our love for Christ. Let me just put it out there. Too often we, we look at family more than, than the things that Christ has called us to do. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. He said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And so the implication is this. It is that we see Christ more important than even our family. The best thing for you to do, husbands, parents, wife, children, is to have Christ first in the home. To have him exalted above all other things. We must seek Christ first. And by the way, when you think about seeking Christ first, it makes the family dynamic go well, does it? As the husband seeks Christ, he learns what it means to love his wife as he loves Christ. The wife, when she seeks Christ first, she understands the importance of loving Christ all the more so, which has its effect upon the children and her husband. And when children grasp the concept, who are saved, who are redeemed, and, and they receive this grace and this mercy, they see Christ. Number one, it allows the dynamic of the family to keep that number one. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added to you. This is all over the pages of scriptures. We must love and obey God first, simply. Let me say it this way. Anything else, to do anything else, instead of loving Christ first and everything, is idolatry. Did you hear that? When something competes for the preeminence of Christ in your life and how you live your life, how you lead your family, it is idolatry. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with what? With some of your heart. With all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And I, and I put this out there out of love. I put this out of this in reality. Sometimes what I see this, when this goes haywire, is when I see families who love Christ and they put their children first above Christ. This is where it all kind of goes haywire. Listen, Jesus is first and he will not hold an equal to it. Not even your kids can compete with him for the honor and position that Christ rightly should receive within your family. I'm not saying that you don't care for your kids. Make sure that you love Christ first when you do that. When you make decisions about what you're going to do as a family, your kids need to see that mom and dad puts Christ first. And everything. Oh, that's a daunting task, I know. I understand that. I've got six kids of my own. I, I get that. But oh, does this pierce my soul when I think about the reality of making sure that my kids know that Christ is more sufficient and is what they need more than anything else. Implications on the family, I think there's more. But sometimes I think we need that remembrance of, of understanding that, that, yeah, I love my wife and I love my kids, but I love my wife and I love my kids because I have a great love for my Savior. So let me draw this to an end. A lot of application here this morning. Things for you to ponder, things for you to evaluate, things for the Spirit to take hold of. But Jesus clearly says, those who have received Him as Lord and Savior are His family, and they are identified as his family by their obedience. I guess that's what confuses me sometimes when the universal church says that they love Jesus, but they do everything not to obey him. If you say you love Christ, there's an obedience in your soul that this is supreme, this is inerrant, this is holy, this is what I'm going to follow. And so, when it comes to the family of Christ, the family of God, you must have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is your entrance. And once you enter, because of the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God, and granting you grace and forgiveness, what awaits you 
is Ephesians 1, where the storehouse and the blessings of the believing in Christ Jesus flows into the family. Listen, I get it. Sometimes the family's difficult. When I say the family, the family of God. There are times where we don't like each other. Yet, within the spiritual family of God, you have all the resources to get it right and reconcile and continue to walk together hand in hand, heart to heart. You're able to love because he first loved you. I don't know about you. When, when you think about why we get up on Sunday mornings and we gather at this place and this facility and the church comes with the redeemed show up, it should delight your soul with a smile. Scripture says greet one another with a holy kiss. I get it. We live in America. We don't like to kiss each other. If you lived in Russia, your face would be marked by old ladies kissing your face. And an affection that's endearing because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. When I think about this truth, it should cause each one of us to love each other all the more, to serve each other all the more, to carry one another's burdens all the more. Why? Because we are his family. Amen? Father, we thank you for the day and for the morning of simple concept arising from Scripture where Jesus clearly delineates between that which is earthly and that which is spiritual. As he looks out to the crowd, he sees the sinners, the defiled, yet he also sees the heart. Those individuals who are engrossed in great sin, who have repented, who are following Christ, who sat at his feet, who decided to learn, were hungry to learn. Those are, are your family, Lord. You have never called the perfect, the one that has it all together, the one who is most upright and considered self-righteous. Your gospel comes to those who need it, who understand that they are sinners, who understand that they need Christ and His grace and forgiveness. And in turn, not only do you save them, you establish your position as Lord in their life, which causes an obedience to love you all the more. We thank you for the scriptures, for it clearly helps us to understand what this family, this spiritual family looks like, how we are to function, how do we are to live until that one day where eternity sees our end and where we see you face to face. And for eternity, that reality of, of having our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life because of our faith 
in the Savior and repentance and turning from our sins with a heart turning towards obedience to the things of truth is marked in perfectness forever. May we encourage one another knowing that that day is drawing near. May we spur one another to love and good deeds. May we carry one another's burdens and it seems like, Father, that the burdens continue to get heavier and heavier. This world doesn't offer much. But we will walk together and carry each other's burdens until you call us home. Why? Because we love you much, which in turn, we love those whom you love and whom you saved and whom you gathered in this place called the church. And so we thank you for your goodness and kindness to us in so many ways. We thank you for the opportunities to carry one another's burdens. We thank you for the opportunities to encourage one another. May we do that, knowing that the day is drawing near. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and, and we'll... Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.